That's brilliant. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 1 to 7. And can I just say this morning that maybe if it's your first time in church, it's your first experience this kind of context, um, then what we do in this period, we look at, we look at um, a passage of this particular book. We believe this is God's love letter to us, that throughout it, we see how his people and, and people generations have experienced something of this God. And we come to this text because we believe there's an authority that lies within these words in which Jesus speaks through us to us today. There's power in this, is what we believe. And we come to Isaiah, who... When push comes to shove, he was a bit mental, if we're being honest, but he had a very clear and specific message called by God, and and some of the language he uses is very vivid. So if you do come to this text, it's your first time looking at this stuff. Let's explore it together before you make any kind of judgments about what we're reading. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 9, or 8. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. A people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For it is in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his governments and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is quality, isn't it? What a text to look at this morning. So we're beginning um, over the next four weeks our Advent series around Christmas, exploring what is the real purpose behind Christmas. What does this season really bring us? And I want to ask a question at the start of this particular series and this message. Do you have a Christmas decoration tradition? Anyone, anyone got one? A tradition you fulfill every year, right, for Christmas decorations. For our family back at home, when I was living at home, every year my mum would call us together, we'd have this really amazing dinner. We'd all book out the time particularly. And then we'd go into the living room and she'd chuck on the Kenny Rogers Christmas album. Anyone know it? Mary, did you know? No? No, that's why I don't sing in the band. And... And this album is amazing. It goes through some of the cheesiest Christmas songs, but we always have that with some old wine, some mince pies, and the decoration, like, planning begins. Now, it always seems like a really good idea, I find, with decorations. But then your mum wants to do this kind of um, nice, festive feel to the room, but at the same time, she wants it to be quite classy. She doesn't want a tacky Christmas room. But she's got two boys. I'm not going to lie, I love the color. I love just throwing stuff on the tree. I love all the noise things make. She was very gracious in allowing us to do this. So over the next 15 minutes, this would always ensue. My dad and I would get bored within the first five minutes because really, decoration doing is quite frustrating and fiddly. I, I can't be bothered with that. So he goes upstairs on the computer. I go and decorate my room, and my mum and my brother are left to do the tree. But my mum and my brother are tree experts. You know, when they get the lights in perfectly, it weaves around the tree at exactly the same angle to give the illusion that it's coming down beautifully from the top. They do it beautifully. And I love that moment 
on the first Christmas morning, you wake up, it's gloomy, it's, it's Plymouth, right? So it's wet outside, it's dark, and you walk downstairs and you switch the Christmas lights on the tree. You know the feeling? That kind of feeling of joy. It doesn't really matter how you're feeling that day, fairy lights. They bring something within us. It's a sense of hope when you see fairy lights. If you walk down to Drake Circus at the moment, you see the lights glittering. Beautiful. Around here at night, all of these lights are incredible. There's something about light that signifies hope. There's some sense of, do you know what? I might be able to get through this when you see those lights. I think that's what's so often powerful about the Christmas season. I was looking at some bloggers about the things they most look forward to at Christmas, and so many of them talked about light. There was something about light that fosters that sense of hope when maybe Christmas might be quite a dark period for you. Light signifies hope. I love those moments in movies where the main character has been going through this horrific situation. And when you think there is no hope, when maybe even the room is dark, the camera will zoom in on the face of the person and you see this light glint through the window, right? Shine across their face and you know, do you know what? They might get through this. This is the turning point in their story where things start to change. Light signifies hope. And if there was anyone that needed hope more, it was the Israelite people that we're looking at in our story this morning from Isaiah. So the Israelite people have got this, have been um, captivated, captured, sorry is the right word, by um, by the Assyrian people who were the superpower of the day. Think kind of America and and, and Russia, um, the huge superpower of the day. And they've captured most of the Middle East. So think modern day Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel. And the Israelites have been brought under this captivation. Their whole political system, everything they know, has been turned upside down. No longer the rules they were used to following, the way of life they were used to, everything has been turned upside down. Their religious system, their worshipping of God, they've had their friends killed. They've had people they love put in prison. Everything, where are you, God? You tell me you're real, you tell me you love me. Where are you in this situation? Where is the God who's been blessing our nation for so many years? Everything had been turned upside down. To the Israelites in this period, in the story that we're looking at, it's like they're completely consumed by darkness. If you have your Bibles with you, in Isaiah 8, it says this, 21 to 22. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their gods. They will turn their faces upward or they will look to the earth but will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. I don't know about you, but, but we live in a dark world, right? I've been thinking of a way to phrase this. So I'm going to try and, and do my best, so just bear with me as I try and articulate what I want to say. I think... The more I was thinking about this topic and thinking about darkness, the more I started to see in society, we're so good at putting on um, a smiley face, aren't we, and a mask, and kind of going, we don't really want to deal with that stuff because it's a little bit too real. When we talk about death and we talk about suffering, I can feel it now in the room. When we talk about pain, there's a sense of we're really uncomfortable with that. Actually, we're really uncomfortable with the reality of darkness around us because I find maybe, maybe you'd agree with this, We are so secure and safe so often in the lives that we've lived. We've been so blessed for so many years that, in fact, it's kind of a distant reality to some extent. It happens to people on the TV, happens to people in the Middle East, but the reality is we don't really experience this kind of darkness. That's not something that we will go through 
in our lifetime, maybe in the same way. On our Facebook profiles, you have the perfect picture. You never have a picture that actually shows you looking awful. You look amazing on every single picture. I don't know how, I don't know how people do that. I always seem to look like I wasn't expecting the photo. which is so. But some people, every photo, no matter what they're doing, seem to look on point. I do not know where that comes from. But there's something about this kind of glitz, this, this wall, this something that we place to not really explore the darkness and suffering within people's lives. I was at a party a while ago, and um, it was, sorry, a party, it was a wedding. And, um, and afterwards, we, we were just talking around a, a, a firelight they had out there. And one of the guys was telling us an experience on a mission trip where a group of, of, of I think it was, I'm not sure, and I don't want to place, I don't, please don't read into this, but I think it was extremists of some kind had thrown a grenade into, whilst they were preaching, and the grenade exploded and killed two of his friends right in front of him. And he was telling us a story. I was captivated by the story of how we could experience God in, in the messiness of, of that situation. There was something horrifyingly beautiful about it. But I remember the people around were really uncomfortable with him doing that. There was almost a sense of, oh, mate, you're killing the mood. You know, and he opened up. It had come up in conversation naturally, and he was expressing something of the reality of this pain and suffering. And I almost felt, where's the context in which we can really discuss this? Are we able to really talk about the darkness of this world? I am, um, during my master's, I wrote one of my papers, a 7,000 word paper on suffering. And I've never, you know, you do this academic stuff, you do these papers, you've, all the university students here, and you so often think, you know, what is the point in these papers? You're just going to sit in a desk. This paper transformed the way I think about God and the way I think about life. And I was asking the question, where is God in suffering? Where is God in, in the pain? The people that I was coming, having come to me, talked to me about that, the suffering they were going through, things I can't even begin to relate to standing at funerals and having to somehow conjure up words that will, will bring a little bit of encouragement, a hope to people who are feeling hopeless. Where is God in all of this? Because actually I think sometimes the, we build up an image of the future, this perfect glitzy future which will come true. And we're Christians, so God is with us, and therefore that future will become a reality. But what if it won't? What if actually life doesn't always pan out the way we want it to pan out? What if the reality is that actually the adage-old phrase of, oh, it'll be all right, mate. What if, what if it won't be all right? We're not allowed to talk about this stuff in church, are we? Because you've got to have a hope that says that you will smile no matter what the situation. But the reality is we live in a dark world. But there's hope. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the story. That is the beauty of the words that we're reading in this passage. Because we know that no matter what the suffering we're going through, no matter how all-consuming the darkness seems, we know that God is with us. We know that God is acting. We know he is present. We know he loves us. We know he cares. We know he can take the most broken, damaged people, lives, and renew them and make them into something beautiful. We know things don't have to be that way. And we know one day we will be with him, for we will see him as he is. And on that day, there'll be no more crying or pain, for the old order of things have fallen away. We can't promise that everything will be okay. But we can promise that we worship a God who is present. We can promise that we worship a God who acts. We can promise that we worship a God who loves us. A God who cares. Amen? Jesus is the light in the darkness. Jesus is the ultimate Christmas light. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. What did this mean for the people today? They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know the hope that God was going to bring in him. But, but for them, this text said, well, that God who has been absent is working. It was a reminder that actually this God is, is present. It was a reminder that God has a chance in his light to transform the darkness. Because Jesus revealed something of, of, of God, and, and God is light. He is present in the darkness. Jesus is the ultimate Christmas light. And this, this small baby who was born in, in what a manger, as they often say, in the, in the nice little nativity plays we have, wasn't born in a, in a glitzy um, palace, grew up, and he lived this life in which he called people to love their enemies, to, to show mercy, to be peacemakers. All right, mate, love your enemies. No one loves their enemies. They're enemies because we don't like them. He's like, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He taught these ridiculous, radical things, and he lived this ridiculous, radical life in which he hung out with people that no one else would hang out with. The rest of society would, would shove them aside. And he was gained these titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then in John 18, verse 12, he says these words when he's an adult. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the ultimate Christmas light. Boom. I haven't said that in a long time. It was urging to come out of me. And you know, this week as I was preparing this message, um, I had, we, Clive and I talk about working smart. So at times, you know, as a minister, we don't have all the time to prepare these messages. And I'd done a message recently to see you on punching holes in the darkness. And I was thinking, do you know what? That makes so much sense. I could reuse that line. And then we could talk about how we are going to go out and punch holes in the darkness. But as I was doing it, you know those moments where God just taps you on the shoulder and goes, all right, mate, let's just move your agenda aside for a brief second. And let's look at what the text is actually saying. Because actually what is so incredible about this text and what the commentators pointed me to is it is so saturated with grace. So I don't want you to go away with a massive burden that Ross has said, go away and do this, this, and this to be a good Christian. In fact, what I, wanna, what I hope you accomplish this morning is that you sit back and go, our God is amazing. I hope that if you're feeling in that dark place in which everything is consuming you, you go, do you know what? Jesus is a light. I want to see his presence in this. I want the hope that I find when I look at Christmas lights to, to define this Christmas period. That is the hope and the aim of this message. It says, for a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Jesus is a gift. Do you know what I love? There's not one point that the Israelites go, oh God, we've got this wrong. Help us, save us, get us out of this situation. Not once did they come before God and say, do you know what? We've messed up. We've got this wrong. Help us. But yet God did it anyway. He sent his son anyway. Is that the same for us? We rebelled, we wanted nothing to do with God, and yet because he loves us, he sacrificed absolutely everything. If you're consumed by darkness this Christmas period, oh, I pray you know that truth. I pray you know that Jesus is light and that he can transform the darkness that you're experiencing. Because the reality is Christmas is not always a nice period for people. We have a, 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 sermon, um, a, a service coming up soon. Clive was advertising these brilliant um, packs. And in there you'll find one of these flyers for the longest night service on Wednesday, the 21st of December from 7.30 to 8.30. And it says this about this particular service, a quiet and reflective service hosted by Mutley Baptist Church for anyone who isn't looking forward to the prospect of Christmas for whatever reason. 
a time to sit with grief and lament, a place to be quiet in the busyness of the Christmas season, seeking Jesus as the light that brings hope and healing in the darkness. If that's where you're at this Christmas, maybe it reminds you of a loved one that you've lost, whatever the experience will be, please come along to that service. A great chance to really reflect on what's going on. Because sometimes as well, with all this Christmas light, when we look when we put the news on and read what's going on in Syria and, and Aleppo, and you, you kind of go, Jesus, be lights to those people, please. Right? And I want to encourage you um, as you go around this week, as you switch on your Christmas lights and enjoy your Christmas traditions, Kenny Rogers' Christmas album. If you've got everything I said this morning, Kenny Rogers' Christmas album. Amazon, amazing. Actually, no, don't go. They dodge taxes, but go somewhere else. Kenny Rogers, I don't know, what was I saying? Kenny Rogers' Christmas album. When you're looking at lights, and you see lights on your tree, when you see lights in your house, when you see lights at Drake Circus, or just around in general, maybe take a moment and just go, thank you, Father. Thank you that you acted. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that you revealed yourself in Jesus and shone your beautiful light in the darkness. Take that moment when you look at these wonderful lights just to go, thank you. Jesus is the ultimate Christmas light. Let's pray. Father, for those who, who are here this morning, and, and this is a reality, being consumed by darkness, we pray that even now there'll be a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope, that you will reveal yourself to them. And we pray for this Christmas time as we go out um, onto our front lines to be amongst other people that we don't know, that we'll bring that light with us. That light that says there's hope. In Jesus' name, amen.